Claire FM's Beyond Belief with Stephen Fletcher. It's nine o'clock on Sunday, the 19th of February, 2023. Time for Beyond Belief. Good evening. Stephen Fletcher with you again for the next hour, and we have another packed program for you. Trocra is celebrating 50 years since its foundation, and we will hear from Colm Hogan, the church manager at Trocra, about how the charity came about. And have you ever wondered what a canon does? Well, in Clare, a new one has just been appointed in the Church of Ireland, and I talked to the Reverend Canon Kevin O'Brien, the rector of the Drumcliff Union in Ennis, to find out more about the history of this ancient position and what they do now. And again, I sit down with Father Jerry over a cup of coffee to talk about preparations for Lent and the generosity of the Irish and St. Patrick's Day. All that to come with a varied choice of music, and I think we will start with this song from the Beatles, Blackbird. Spring is coming. Welcome to Beyond Belief. of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arise Blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see all your life You were only waiting For this moment to be free Blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the line of a dark black night
Well, here we are again. It's that music, it's that time. And this time, Father Jerry is sitting opposite me here in Kilrush. Jerry, you're very welcome. Did you see there is still some mince pies left? Oh, yes, and, and beautiful cakes. So, and I've had my coffee. So, thank you very much, Stephen. Glad to be here again uh, with yourself and Francis as we, we, we gather the chat this week. Very nice, good. So it's been a, a busy week as we get ready for Lent. It sort of crept up on us, really, you know. I mean, I was just, we, I've had a few conversations during the week with people and we're, we're all remarking, like, in some ways, like, it's only six weeks since Christmas, but it seems that it's almost a year ago. And now we're we're beginning to plan for Easter. And, like, even the shops, I see, like, their <laughs> sort of Easter eggs are all over the place and uh, things like that. And at the moment, like, the focus is on Shrove Tuesday again, on the commercial end of it of yeah. getting ready for pancakes and, and that but we are we're actually on the doorstep of Lent because this coming Wednesday we celebrate Ash Wednesday Ash Wednesday yeah that's right and so you know I think it's important people talk about giving things up for Lent but I think also it's perhaps an opportunity to do something uh, you know do something that you don't normally do, uh, yeah, do, coming, with, yeah. do with your faith I mean not yeah. not, uh, not yeah. casually but you know it's an opportunity so I don't know people don't seem to look on it in the same way that I remember when I was a boy where you would undertake to give up something. That seemed to be a much bigger thing of giving something up for Lent. It was, it was. And I think that was the emphasis. I think in our church where it began to change a little bit was coming out of Vatican II and things like that where as you're saying, the the three prongs of, of Lent really were prayer, fasting and almsgiving, you know, that in other words, that we deepen our prayer life, that we do give up something or that we do recognise that, uh, you know, that we, it's good to be sacrificial in some of our living, not to be just always giving in. And thirdly, that we do be conscious of those in need. Mm. And those three prongs are, are the essential tools, really, of Lent. And I think more emphasis was given to them in our church than before when I was a child, like you as well, the emphasis was on open giving up sweets or exactly. giving up something and things exactly. like that yeah. Yeah. but it's, it's holding all of those together is the key one of the nice interesting comments I came across for Lent in recent years was actually a quote from Thomas Merton the American spiritual writer and monk where he sort of says Lent really is a reminder to us that we are human and I think that sits very well with today's time we do need reminders that we are human from time to time because the pace of living and the pace of the world can often just bring us along and we think well you know everything is going to be hunky-dory or we're fully in charge and all the rest of it until something happens maybe mm. in our family or with somebody that we know we're close and, and that can sort of shatter us mm. so it's good to have a consciousness or a time in the year where we we sort of just pause and just remember well look at we are fragile yeah dust we are and unto dust we will return yeah yeah and you mentioned one of the three prongs is almsgiving and i've got an interview coming up on chakra which is 50 years old this year. It was in 1973. And uh, I've had an interview with Colm Hogan. 
is a familiar voice Brilliant. on uh, Beyond Belief, and uh, he was telling me about the history of Chakra, and uh, that's something that's coming up in this programme. And then I think we're going to have him in your programme next week again to talk about the Lent Appeal. Yeah, and that's one of the key platforms that Chakra has, very much associated with our church in the sense that, uh, you know, it ties in with the thing that during Lent we are maybe making some bit of sacrifice so Trokra makes its appeal to us that from what we have that we might give some of that a portion of that to assist people in need in other parts of the world. And of course, Stoker are doing tremendous work mm. and are involved, as as you will hear, in the present crisis and the unfortunate people of Turkey and Syria and how Stoker works with partnerships with yes. people on the ground in the various yes. countries and things like that. Yes. And it's, it's heartbreaking to hear the stories just keep coming out from that earthquake or the, that series of earthquakes. Yeah. But one thing comes across very clearly is how generous as a nation the Irish people are. You know, that's something, if you look at these top tens of generosity, Ireland is always near the top. The Irish are very generous at supporting people in need. Yeah, it's probably in our DNA. And I think, you see, when you look at history, we're not too far removed from a time of great poverty and strife yeah, for ourselves absolutely. here during the famine. Yeah. Like it's, it's only going back a few generations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our forefathers and foremothers, they, they lived through this and we're conscious that in some way, you know, we depended on, on others to help us and therefore it's part and parcel. And it's a great, I think it's part of the whole Christian, um, if you like, ethos that is, is part and parcel of being Irish. You know, it's what we will be celebrating coming up to Patrick's Day as well. Right throughout the world, wherever the Irish were. And particularly, you know, I remember at one stage, oh, a good number of years, just doing a little bit of research about the Irish missionaries and what they did throughout the world and their presence throughout the world. And linking with the fact like that even people in our embassies and uh, what the government had to do when they, uh, their first hundred years like of, of governing the country as an independent country, like the network that was created by the missionaries in far-flung parts of the world was a great stepping stone for further economic ties and other cultural ties to be built up in those countries between the Irish and the natives there. Yeah, and of course, uh, talking of St. Patrick's Day, the ministers will be spreading themselves very widely on Patrick's Day. 42 different countries, apparently, our ministers will be uh, visiting to publicise Ireland and to promote Ireland and uh, probably to enjoy uh, a pint maybe as well. But it's all business, they say. So there's 42 countries going to receive a minister from the Irish government to celebrate Patrick's Day. So uh, good for them. One of my good friends in America always sort of, you know, like when, when we're, we're having a, a good tussle uh, around words, and he always just says, Jerry says, ye Irish, he says, ye punch far too much above your weight Absolutely. for the size of the country that yeah, you are. Absolutely. But it's true, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we have a footprint left nearly everywhere That's in the right. world. That's right, yeah. And I think in the present circumstances and our country dealing at the moment with the influx of immigrants uh, from Ukraine and other countries and those coming in in their need to us. You know, I, I think we do need to seriously reflect upon the fact that we have been welcomed wherever we've gone in the world mm. and is it not part of our ethos to be as welcoming for those in need when they come to us? Mm.
Something else that I've been talking about this week is cannons. Cannons, not uh, not for Ukraine, not 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 armaments, but cannons in the church. And and Michael Burroughs, the Bishop of Chewham, Limerick, and Killaloo has recently announced two new canons have been appointed and one of them is someone that we know quite well in Ennis. Uh, he's the rector of Ennis and that's the Reverend, or sorry, the Reverend Canon Kevin O'Brien and I've been talking to him about uh, what canons are and uh, what they do and it seems to be mainly an honorary position but something that uh, you don't have in the Catholic Church anymore. Well, it was when I was started off in, in priesthood all those years ago. There were quite a number of canons in the diocese but over time it has sort of been put on the shelf if you like and we don't have it anymore but there was a time when there was a canon Kenny in in Kilkee one time and we're no relation but it was a canon here in Kilrush in places like that but as my understanding of it was it evolved as if if like it was a liturgical function first in terms of being in the vicinity of the cathedral and with certain obligations of prayer and duty and service to be done in that context but then it evolved into being this honorary or titled position yeah. that centres of population had a canon and rural places well they just had the parish priest and that sort of thing but I think in our diocese the, the thinking over years was well it had lost its its real uh, true meaning yeah and therefore we dropped the, the titles. We're now new titles of co-PP. This is the, oh, this is the, right. the, this is the, the terminology we use. And at the moment, actually, the diocese, throughout the diocese, there's a number of conferences going on where we're exploring how we will move into the future in terms of the service and the ministry we will give to our parishes and our pastoral areas because it is becoming more, more burdensome, there's more compliance put on us and there's more calls on our service and things like that. And we need to be thinking now about how we will prepare for that and evolve into that new structure. So those conversations are beginning with parishes and with pastoral councils over uh, these coming months. Very good. Well, we will hear what a modern canon has to do in the Church of Ireland when we hear from canon Kevin O'Brien shortly. a song I'd never heard before and I heard it on the radio a couple of weeks ago it's Christy Moore The Cliffs of Dunin You who may travel far far from your own native home far away are the mountains far away are the foam but of all the fine places that I've ever seen and there's none to compare with the cliffs of Dunin. Take a view o'er the mountains, find sights you'll see there. You'll see the high rocky mountains on the west coast of Clare. And the towns of Kilkee and Kilrush. Can be seen from the high rocky slopes of the cliffs of Dunin. It's a nice place to be on a fine summer's day. 
Watching all the wildflowers that ne'er do decay And the hare and lofty pheasants are plain to be seen Making homes for the young round the cliffs of Dooney Fairly well to Dooney, fairly well for a while And to all the fine people I'm leaving behind To the streams and the meadows where late I have been And the high rocky slopes of the cliffs of Dooney The Cliffs of Dunin by Christy Moore. And just thinking about it, of course it's a beautiful sight because you're looking across at Clare. <laughs> I shall have to make sure I go and see the Cliffs of Dunin next time I cross over on the Kalima Ferry. You're tuned to Beyond Belief on this Sunday evening. Now, the Church of Ireland has recently announced two new canons. The Bishop of Chewham, Limerick and Killaloo, the Right Reverend Michael Burroughs, has appointed two new canons, the Reverend Michael Kavanagh from Kerry and the Reverend Kevin O'Brien, the Rector of the Drumcliff Union here in Ennis. And I'm delighted to be sitting next to one of them now, the Reverend Kevin O'Brien, Canon Kevin O'Brien. Congratulations. Uh, many thanks. Yes, I think, I guess... Myself and Michael, you might call us a salvo. <laughs> yes, because you've also been appointed with Michael Kavanagh from Kerry. That's right, yeah, and he's a buddy of mine as well, so I can offer my congratulations to him as well. So I'm sure many people will wonder, what is a canon and what does a canon do? So let's start with what is a canon. OK, well, let, let me go back through the history Canon comes from the word, Latin word canonicus, which comes originally from the Greek canonicus, which basically relates to the idea of one subjecting oneself or being subject to an ecclesiastical rule. Right. The canon, as right. it were, the canons, yes. the laws of the church. So it's someone who submits to a particular set of canons. And it was originally a cleric who lived with others in a, in a chapter house. So they would live in the same house and they would serve 
within the precincts of the cathedral and they would serve the cathedral, say the cathedral masses, look after the congregation and so on. And then over them would be a dean who looked after the chapter and gathered the chapter together. And that then, under the rule of St. Augustine, subdivided into canons regular, and they were ones who were members of a religious order, and canons secular, rather like, I think many people will be familiar with Catholic priests who are either part of a religious order or are a secular stroke diocesan priest. And so that was the division. There were canons regular who were part of a religious order and canons secular who would be attached to the cathedral in the same way but would not live by the rule of the religious order. They would be covered by separate rules. Uh, And so in the Church of Ireland and Church of England, the Anglican churches, essentially pretty much all canons these days are canons secular or secular canons, although some of them might be part of religious orders. So, and you'll be attached to St Mary's Cathedral, so you're part of the chapter, the group of canons, in St Mary's Cathedral in Limerick. Yes, and I believe it's a joint chapter between Killaloo Cathedral and, and Limerick, so we're essentially canons of that joint chapter. And then some of the canons are residentiary canons, in other words, they they live and work at the cathedral, and uh, other canons will be what's called honorary canons. Residentiary canons will have that title of canon for as long as they're actually living in post. But uh, honorary canons, they carry that title for life. And in a way, in the Catholic Church, it's they might be styled either canon or monsignor. Right. So I think that gives people a sort of cross-reference where it's an honorific, it's given to experienced priests, and it's a, you know, a lovely recognition, but also is a symbol that one's life and one's ministry has been beyond one's own parish, right. um, that you've been more involved with the life of the diocese. And so canons are usually people who have had and continue to have a, a slightly wider brief. And so what will you do as a canon that you don't do as a rector? The duties, I have to say, are are not onerous, (laughs) as it's mainly an honorific, but it will involve preaching occasionally at St Mary's as a guest preacher, as as one of the chapter, and being at um, Evensong when I can, Sunday evenings. And also, I think it it builds a, a greater link between our group of parishes and the cathedral. Not that that link isn't necessarily there anyway, but it certainly, I think, involves the life of our parishes more in the life of the cathedral, and I hope versa vice. Yeah. When the chapter meets, what sort of business does it decide? Well, I'm, I'm yet to find out, because, of course, I'm not really involved in the day-to-day management of no. the, the cathedral. So there might be some decisions that are taken as a full chapter, which might be to do with certain projects that the cathedral is undertaking within the wider diocese and that some of us might like to be involved in. And I think back to Canon Liz, who was until recently in Adair, uh, and she and some colleagues devised this holy walk from Limerick to Killaloo. And so that was her involvement, and and so they would have discussed that sort of business. But, of course, the day-to-day business of the the running of the cathedral is very much left to the the dean and and to the dean's vicar. Yeah. And do you get any uh, privileges? Uh, You have your own seat in the cathedral, I believe. I do, um, which is where the word installation comes from, because one was put into a stall. So one one is in 
stalled. Right. And I guess that ecclesiastical term has then just come out into, uh, into wider parlance. But so, yes, I'll have a stall in the cathedral choir area, the chapter choir. Now, this is an enormous privilege. I'm allowed to park in the car park of St. Mary's uh, when I go to services rather than going across to the potato market and and finding some space there. So uh, that'll be a fantastic privilege. And then, of course, the sense of being together with other canons and therefore having, I suppose, a a wider insight into the life of the diocese and, of course, the life of the cathedral, which is essentially the mother church of the diocese. Yeah. Now, some time ago, I was taken round the cathedral by the dean and shown the seats, or they're actually called misericords, I think, are they? Yes. Which enable you to appear to be standing when, in fact, you're sitting down. Yes, copping a bit of a rest without looking like it. And I suppose it's slightly akin to fixed golfing umbrellas where one can perch, s- perch uh, whilst remaining dignified. <laughs> and I think some misericords are more miserable than others. Right. Um, certainly, I think, in one cathedral that I heard of in Geneva, where I think Jean Calvin uh, had been involved, they were really quite uncomfortable and made to be so. But um, I hope these are slightly more comfortable. The interesting thing, of course, is it brings it home to you, the antiquity of of the cathedral, uh, often, because you might sit in these chairs, which are quite small for modern frames, um, because they were designed for people who were smaller. We've got bigger in in modern age, and you certainly feel, or can feel, slightly more cramped in some of these chairs. You think cramped, people were... Yeah, a lot tinier. You said sit in them. I think it's more sit on them, isn't it? Yes. They, you know, they don't uh, convey any great comfort. Uh, I don't think they're designed for lounging. No. <laughs> <laughs> a historical appointment and an interesting appointment, and it recognises work that you've been doing uh, in the diocese as well. So it's uh, an honour in that regard, isn't it? And uh, if it's not too onerous, then... Uh, yeah, and it's like certain wines, they're honoured... Not necessarily because they taste any better, but they've been around a long time. <laughs> so, um, but I think there's one interesting thing about it as well, is that, is that when you look at these roles and these sort of graduations, as it were, of priesthood, um, you see them mirrored very much in the Catholic Church. And it reminds one that actually, but for the Reformation, and clearly some bifurcation, some growing away in certain things uh, since that time, actually structurally in our foundations we're one and the same we're very very similar and actually the three great um, episcopal churches of the world are the catholic church numerically the largest then the orthodox church and the anglican church of which church of ireland is a part because we have bishops priests and deacons those historic orders and actually although in common language the church of ireland is often called the Protestant Church here in Ireland, it is in part Protestant. But I think it would also describe itself as Reformed Catholic. And because we have the distinctive pattern of the the Church's Catholic, Orthodox and Anglican, we're, we're similar to one another. So yes, there are shades. Uh, and some people within the Church of Ireland will be more Catholic and, uh, or Protestant than others. But actually... At our roots, we still very much share the same fundamental structures and and understanding of what the church is. So our ecclesiologies have the same foundations. Yeah. Good. Well, 
When do you get installed? I think a date has been muted of 21st of May, four o'clock, Evensong at St Mary's. So, um, and I, I hope, you know, some of the, my own congregations will be able to come. And also it will be on the website with the live cam as well. So obviously anyone would be very welcome to attend and, and see what we get up to. <laughs> Do you have any special extra bits of uniform? Do you have any other things that we would recognise you as a canon? Yes, I'm not quite sure what the traditions um, are here because every cathedral will be slightly different. I think they still wear black cassocks at St Mary's. Some cathedrals have blue cassocks or red cassocks. I think they're, they're black at St Mary's. There is a stole or a preaching scarf that I think has the coat of arms of the cathedral on it. I think if one really wants to push the boat out, one could have a cincture, which is like a wide belt, and cassock trimmed with purple or red piping, and some even like a, a red pom-pom on their beretta. But I've once tried a beretta, and it made me look like part of the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> so I don't think I should be wearing one again. Right. But, uh, no, well, very many congratulations, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in full regalia. Whether or not you have your red piping, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, thank you. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you very much indeed, and probably without piping. <laughs> well, I hope you sit comfortably throughout the service. I look forward to it. Just in case you think we just throw this programme together, what else should we follow a report about cannons than this? Cannonball by Damien Rice. There's still a little bit of your taste in my mouth. There's still a little bit of you laced with my doubt. There's still a little hard to say what's going on. Still a little bit of your ghost, your witness. Still a little bit of your face, I haven't kissed. You step a little closer each day, that I can't say what's going on. Stones taught me to fly. Love taught me to lie. Life taught me to die. So it's not hard to fall when you flow like a Still a little bit of your words I long to hear 
step a little closer to me So close that I can't see what's going on Stones taught me to fly Love taught me to lie Life taught me to die So it's not hard to fall When you float like a cannon Stones taught me to fly Love taught me to cry So come on, courage, teach me to be shy Cause it's not hard to fall And I don't want to scare her It's not hard to fall And I don't want to lose It's not hard to grow You know that you just don't know Cannonball by Damien Rice. You're tuned to Beyond Belief on this Sunday evening. And on Beyond Belief, Jerry and I like to play some music that really means something to us. And last week we heard Jerry playing some music from Candor and Ebb. And I'd like to play something now which is from a singer-songwriter from the early 1970s, a man called Harry Chapin, who used to write songs where you really could listen to the words because they always contained a story. And in fact, his first album, which I bought, was in 1973 I think and it was called Short Stories and over the next few weeks I shall play different songs from him but we'll start with this one which was his only number one actually and it's a lesson to all fathers I think this one listen to the words it's called Cats in the Cradle and it came out in 1974 While I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew He'd say I'm gonna be like you Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cats in the cradle And the silver spoon Little boy blue And the man on the moon When you're coming home Dad I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then Thank you. 
My son turned ten just the other day He said, thanks for the ball, Dad, come on, let's play Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today I got a lot to do He said, that's okay And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed It said, I'm gonna be like him, yeah You know I'm gonna be like him And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then Well, he came from college just the other day So much like a man I just had to say Son, I'm proud of you Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys See you later, can I have them, please? And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, son, I don't know when But we'll get together then, Dad You know we'll have a good time then Since retired, my son's moved away I called him up just the other day I said I'd like to see you if you don't mind He said I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu But it's your nice talking to you, Dad It's been your nice talking to you And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He'd grown up just like me My boy was just like me And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, son, I don't know when But we'll get together then, Dad We're gonna have a good time then cautionary tale from Harry Chapin was called Cats in the Cradle. And just to give you another example of one of the stories that Harry was singing about in his very first album called Short Stories, here's the sad story of Mr. Tanner. Mr. Tanner was a cleaner from a town in the Midwest And of all the cleaning shops around, he'd made his the best He also was a baritone who sang while hanging clothes He practiced scales while pressing tales and sang at local shows His friends and neighbors praised the voice that poured out from his throat They said that he should use his gift instead of cleaning coats But music was his life, it was not his livelihood And it made him feel so happy, and it made him feel so good He sang from his heart, and he sang from his soul He did not know how well he sang 
his friends kept working on him to try music out full time. A big debut and rave reviews, a great career to climb. Finally, they got to him. He would take the flame. A concert agent in New York agreed to have him sing. There were plane tickets, phone calls, money spent to rent the hall. It took most of his savings, but he'd gladly used them all. Music was his life, it was not his livelihood And it made him feel so happy, and it made him feel so good He sang from his heart, and he sang from his soul He did not know how when he sang, it just made him whole Took the stage, his face set in a smile. In the half-filled hall, the critics sat watching on the aisle. The concert was a blur to him, spatters of applause. He did not know how well he sang, he only heard the flaws. But the critics were concise, it only took four lines. And no one could accuse them of being overkind. Mr. Martin Tanner, baritone of Dayton, Ohio, made his town hall debut last night. He came well prepared, but unfortunately his presentation was not up to contemporary professional standards. His voice lacks the range of tonal color necessary to make it consistently interesting. Full-time consideration of another endeavor might be in order. home to Dayton and was questioned by his friends but he smiled and just said nothing and he never sang again excepting very late at night when the shop was dark and closed he sang softly to himself as he sorted through the clothes was his life it was not his livelihood and it made him feel so happy and it made him feel so good and he sang Harry Chapin, who's been in our musical spotlight this evening with that sad story of Mr. Tanner. 
You're tuned to Beyond Belief on this Sunday evening. And I don't know if you know, but Trokra is 50 years old this year. 1973 it was formed. And I'm very pleased to have been joined by the church manager from Trokra, Colm Hogan. Good evening, Colm. Good evening, Stephen. It's good to be here again with your listeners on Clare FM. And also, I lived for a number of years in Clare myself, and I'm a native of North Tipperary, so familiar with the people and with their kindness and generosity towards our work. Well, it's a delight to have you. And, and of course, you're, you're often to be heard on Beyond Belief, and it's good to have you back with us again. So, 50 years, can you just take us back to 1973 and remind us what was happening then, and also how the this- decision was made to form Trocra. I can indeed, Stephen. In 1973, the bishops of Ireland responded to flooding in a country named Bangladesh, which we all know. And because of that outreach to the people of Bangladesh, the bishops came together and they decided to found an overseas development agency for the church in Ireland. And that was Trocra. And they issued a pastoral letter at that time. And very significantly, The words uh, used in that pastoral letter are still very relevant today. Like the the last lines in that pastoral letter was, it's not just a matter of charity, but it's a matter of justice. So Trocre over the 50 years now has been synonymous with the word justice and bringing justice to so many places all over the world. So as we celebrate our 50th anniversary, it's a landmark moment for us. And it's, I, I think it's timely and fitting that we pause and reflect on our past, our present and our future. And central to that reflection has been one recurrent sentiment, Stephen. And that's how inspirational the generosity and solidarity of the Irish public has been down through the decades. Yeah. Without that generosity, I'll say, of the people of Clare, uh, the people of the Diocese of Killaloo, North Tipperary, South Offaly, our work would not continue. And that work has been so successful with, in so many countries around the world that we can't say enough of thank yous to the public in Ireland for that generosity towards us. Yeah, and it's something that Ireland can be justifiably proud of, their, their tradition of being generous and sharing. And perhaps it's because of their own history, I don't know, but uh, you find that they are way up high in the league of most generous nations, aren't they? Absolutely, uh, Stephen, and, and we can see that through the decades of the work of Trocra. Maybe just to give you an example of that generosity, in 1997... People may remember a huge famine in North Korea, would you believe it? It was one of the the worst famines to hit that part of the world in history. And the Irish public at that time donated four million pounds to that appeal from Trocra. And it was the largest response of any European country at that stage. So you can imagine the size of Ireland. So that's one example. And then in 2004, when the Asian tsunami hit that part of the world, Again, the Irish public responded with a record 27 million euro to that crisis. So like it's that symbol of the generosity of the Irish people towards all our appeals that have kept our work going. Yeah. And the finances for Trocra, do you also get money from governments, do you, uh, as an aid agency? We do indeed, Stephen. We get funding from Irish aid, from the Irish government. And only in the last few years, like uh, it really helped us when COVID-19 hit many of the countries in the global south. And also 
It has helped establish radio stations for women's empowerment in Sierra Leone. Only last week in Sierra Leone, um, would you believe it, there was a St. Bridget's Day procession. And it was many people in that procession are native to Sierra Leone, but they were honouring St. Bridget because they were part of our women's empowerment programme. And that's all through Irish aid funding. And also, Stephen, we have an office in Belfast, which also means that we can take advantage of UK aid funding as well. So over the last few of our Lent campaigns, we've had UK aid match as well. So all that aid is helping us in a way that because it helps us prolong our program areas and it it, it ensures sustainability and long-term outcomes, as opposed to just going in for a year and then maybe leaving them again. So we're there like for the long road. And we're there for sustainability. And what is the extent of your help across the world? What countries are you mainly focusing on? What what are the criteria that you look for? Well, we're in a number of countries on the Africa continent. We're in Central America, in Guatemala, Nicaragua and Honduras. And then we advocate for human rights and equality also in Palestine and Israel and Myanmar. So like we're in Asia, Africa and Central America. So like we're we're right across the world. And what we look for, like, say, for example, in Africa at the moment, and we'll talk about our Lint campaign, we're focusing on Somalia this year. There's a lot of climate change, conflict, hunger, advocating for human rights, advocating for women's empowerment, advocating for land resources. So that's a lot of our work, Stephen. You know, like that we're advocating for justice. Justice is the key and the pivot which we advocate all our work on. Yeah, you mentioned there long-term plans, but of course when a crisis occurs, such as we have now in Turkey and Syria, there is an appeal for there. And so are you on the ground there? Is Trocker on the ground there? What happens in these situations, Stephen, is that we, we work with different Caritas agencies around the world. So we're working with Caritas Syria now in our response to the situation in Syria and Turkey. And as everyone knows, it's so incredibly sad like that. That part of the world has been hit again because in 2013, we began working with Syrian people when the war broke out there. So the war is going on there in Syria for 10 years now. And it's amazing how something goes out of the news when something else happens. And we may have not heard about the war in Syria for a long time on the public media, but it's still going on. And we work with Syrian refugees and we have a camp in the Lebanon where many thousands of Syrian refugees are there under Trocra's watch and our partners and our local organizations. So we have an established relationship with Caritas Syria. So they're monitoring the situation on the ground now where the earthquake happened. And there are frequent telecommunication disruptions and power challenges, obviously. And structural damages are difficult to assess at this time. And roads are blocked in northwest Syria. So people will need a huge amount of support over the coming while. So we're supporting Caritas Syria in providing shelter, food, water, blankets and other essential items to them. And we're part of an Irish emergency alliance. People may have heard the appeals on the radio. So we're part of that alliance with a number of other charities in raising money. And the money that we raise, Stephen, goes towards Caritas Syria, who one of the hallmarks of Trocra over the 50 years and how we have probably evolved is that we moved from maybe that founding in Bangladesh to providing aid straight away. 
to uh, to working with partners to now working with local people on the ground. So our new strategy is called Local Power Global Justice. So we very much believe in giving the local people the power to make decisions. So we work on their behalf, but it is the local people who enable themselves to work then with the help that we give them. And Stephen, I suppose, uh, I suppose it's important to acknowledge too that all our work is based on Catholic social teaching. So we work with everyone from diverse cultures, ethnicities, gender and religions. So that's part of our ethos and part of our belief in our human dignity that we're all respected. Yeah, thank you. And of course, if people wish to give specifically to that appeal, they can do so following the, the links that there are in the newspapers and on the, the television. And yes, the links on the newspapers, televisions, the radio ads, and then like they can log on straight onto our website at www.troker.org and they will see a helpline there as well. We know from the past 50 years how generous people have been towards Troker and we're really thankful for that. And uh, long may it continue, Colm. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. You've given us a very good insight into the work of Troker and how important it is. And please, God, your work will continue and grow. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen, can I finish maybe with a... We have a 50th anniversary prayer that is very relevant for the conversation we have just had and for the year that's in it as well and all the different crises that are going on throughout the world. I'll just pray it here now. We pray for God's blessing on the work of Trokra. We pray that all people may continue to work together for the respect of our shared human dignity and shared human rights. We thank God for the partners and generous supporters who have enabled Trokra to continue their work for over 50 years empowering communities to work together for a just world. We pray for peace, and may that peace be mine and yours, and with all people experiencing crises in our world. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Thank you, Stephen. Not at all, thanks. Thank you. Take care. That was Colm Hogan from Trokra. And following the death of Bert Bacharach, I thought this might be a suitable song to play now. Jackie DeShannon, What the World Needs Now is Love. Lord, we don't need 
Jackie DeShannon with the late Burt Bacharach song What the World Needs Now Is Love and it brings our show to a close this evening My thanks go to our guests the Reverend Canon Kevin O'Brien Colm Hogan from Trocra and Father Jerry Kenny but as ever I thank you for joining us this evening Remember, you can listen again by going to the Claire FM website and clicking on the catch-up tab, and you can join me for Sunday prayer at a quarter to eight next Sunday morning. Beyond Belief will be back next Sunday evening at 9pm. Until then, this is Stephen Fletcher wishing you a joyful and a peaceful week. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Slawn August Bannock.